Major League Baseball, as you might well imagine, has long had a bit of an old boys club to its power structure. The history of the game is littered with the same old white guys who played the game long ago, becoming managers and then general managers and team executives and broadcasters, often without their success or failure seeming to make that much of a difference as to whether or not they got another chance. So in that sense, and because it is a multi-billion dollar industry, it's a lot like any corporate executive structure. But necessity changes everything. And in recent years, cracks in the door to that old boys club had begun to show. And then, a couple of weeks ago, someone kicked that door down. Ah, uh, we've got some breaking news on a Friday. How about this? The Marlins making history by bringing a lifetime of excellence. Kim Ng steps to the helm as GM. And if the name Kim Ng is unfamiliar to you, it shouldn't be. She has been involved in baseball for a lifetime. The Miami Marlins, who are partly owned and currently run by Hall of Famer Derek Jeter, finally gave Kim Ng the job everyone who has worked with her says she's been ready to have for more than a decade. A Major League Baseball team is now run by a woman. By all accounts, one of the smartest baseball people, male or female, in the world. So is this the first of many glass ceilings to be shattered? Will Ng get a fair shot from her peers, from the media, from the Marlins fans? And who is she, this woman who spent 30 years preparing to do something she was ready to do in about 15? Why did it take her so long to get that chance? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Christina Carl is a senior editor for ESPN MLB. Hello, Christina. Hi, Jordan. Do you remember the first time uh, you heard the name Kim Ng? Um, well, that would have been in college back in like 1986. So since we were classmates together at the University of Chicago. What was she like back then when you met her? I, very much as I think people see her now, which is uh, she was an extremely tough softball player. Definitely uh, what you might call a... Uh, baseball rat you know she was uh definitely a grinder um somebody wasn't afraid to get her uniform dirty and uh was definitely somebody who uh you had to respect because of the way she carried herself how long ago was it do you think that uh and i'm gonna ask you about you first but then maybe we'll talk about uh her status in the industry but how long ago did you sort of think to yourself you know what she could run a team someday I would say, I mean, it was interesting because I remember when she first got her job with um, the White Sox and um, her first job with the White Sox. And I remember because it was the same summer that two friends of ours were getting married and we were both in the wedding party. And so we were arguing about what the White Sox, about a player in the White Sox farm system, um, Scott Sapicki, and whether or not his combination of skills was going to be good enough to move Frank Thomas to DH ultimately that Sipicki might move over to like be able to take over at first base and uh, as it turned out Scott Sipicki did not take over at first base or move Frank Thomas to full-time DH Uh, that didn't happen for many years later so I mean that was in the summer of 1990 but she was whip smart then uh very clearly somebody who also um 
because she understood the financial side of the game certainly better than I did at that point and uh, certainly better than I do to this day. I would say <laughs> that uh, it wasn't very long at all before you had to respect that uh, Kim was going places that she had the ability to run a team. I think once she became an assistant general manager, that's where you'd have to say she's in the picture. She belongs in the picture. She's earned this. And uh, again, that was in the 90s. So you're looking at somebody who, you know, she moved up very fast and she definitely had the ability and, um, you know, was working with some really sharp general managers in the first place. I mean, between Dan Evans with the White Sox, who groomed her in the first place for a front office role to, you know, working with Bob Watson with the Yankees. She had it. She had it all. And so it was not a surprise that, you know, like she was always on short lists very early on. But uh, I think then what happened over the last two decades is is kind of the interesting dilemma of at what point was baseball going to really embrace the idea as opposed to say this person can do the job as opposed to having a team finally say this person is going to do the job. I definitely want to get into that dilemma. But first, maybe for we have a lot of uh, non-sports fans or at least casual sports fans who listen to this podcast. Can you give me a rough sketch of how she came up in the game? You mentioned the first job with the White Sox. Where's she been? How many stops has she made? I guess, the you know, Kim started off with, um, you know, a low end, like, you know, front office job and and helping out. And um, but she was brought in in part because she was somebody who understood the game, but in part also, and that's going back to her experience on the diamond uh, playing softball, but she was also brought in because she had a financial background. If I remember correctly from college, she, um, she was ready. She was somebody who was going to be able to help um, teams, particularly in arbitration cases um, going forward. And so, you know, she both understood like kind of a player mindset, but also understood the financial side of the industry. And so she was working on that side pretty early on. From there, I'd say, you know, like, and so working with the White Sox, but then she moved from there over to the Yankees, who gave her her I think an opportunity to move up faster than she would with the uh, with the White Sox. She, uh, I'd say, she was brought in. She was effectively kind of recruited by Brian Cashman as somebody that uh, he respected, and she got to work with Cashman, and then moved laterally with over to the Dodgers as an assistant general manager. So she'd been an assistant general manager with the Yankees, then she moved over to the Dodgers. And, you know, from that point, you know, she'd been an assistant general manager for years and had yet to be, you know, this is back in then I'd say the mid-aughties, you know, by 2004, 5, 2000. She was interviewed for the Dodgers job, but um, and didn't get it. But you know, was kept as an assistant general manager. She interviewed subsequently with a number of teams, and then you know, in 2011, she moved out of the Dodgers organization and moved into Major League Baseball's kind of executive suites back down in uh, New York. And kind of moved into the industry, on, into the industry management side on on the MLB level, and so that track kind of had taken her out of the orbit of being in um, in the mix with a team, and so I think that's where people kind of wondered she'd already been in the mix for general manager 
a general manager's role for and interviewed for one, you know, for years and, you know, like had a good, like more than 10 years experience as an assistant general manager and had never gotten the opportunity though she'd been interviewed for it uh, repeatedly. And at that point, you know, I think people kind of expected that she wasn't going to get that she wasn't going to be the person who broke through that glass ceiling that because she had moved into kind of league like MLB level operations that she was no longer in the pool of active general manager candidates and because she was and especially when you look at the trends in the industry where younger and younger men are overwhelmingly getting these jobs but you know a lot of guys I mean guys under 50, guys in their late 40s, or guys in their 40s, some guys in their late 30s. So younger people who had come along much, much later than she had, had considerably less experience. Did you ever discuss with her um, being passed over and, and why she spent so long as an assistant GM without getting uh, a shot at a top gig? We talked about it. We've talked about it a couple of different, on a couple of different occasions. But, you know, I think that kind of solidified her commitment to work in Major League Baseball's diversity and inclusion initiatives, where she helped foster the industry's like active campaign to recruit and populate front offices with more people like her, effectively, that people who were smart, just coming out of college and wanted to get a front office job. And so helping MLB launch its first uh, internship program uh, looking at diver- for diversity and inclusion candidates. So I saw her presentation in on Park Avenue to the first inaugural class that she had helped create of, you know, more, I'd say more than two dozen, like, people of color or women, like, who wanted to work in Major League Baseball front offices from, a, a, you know, young, pretty much fresh out of college, some of them former college players, some of them, uh, you know, both baseball and softball, but um, people who, you know, would basically improve the diversity in Major League Baseball front offices and who were every bit as talented as the people you might normally expect to get those jobs in terms of previously established standards and had everything going on, but, you know, might not necessarily have thought I could work in a front office too. And so she was basically helping create a program to give younger Kim Engs the chance to say, like, I can work in a major league baseball front office or encouraging. I mean, this this initiative from MLB actively goes to college campuses and looks and recruits people. And so, you know, in that sense, it's far more exciting than, you know, like in terms of the baseball's commitment to this than, say, asking a individual person like Kim, like in the, like, you know, back in the nineties to say, you know, I want to work in baseball and just apply out of the blue. This is baseball reaching out into the job market and saying opportunities are here for people. And so that's really been pretty cool because you look at some of the people and, and some of the talent. I mean, I was, (laughs) I remember sitting in the room and, and, um, they gave me an opportunity to look at a, at the resumes of that inaugural class of the people she'd helped recruit and, and, and inspire. And it was funny because I was sitting there with a somebody from who works on the data technology side for ML BAM, a friend of mine, Corey Schwartz, who's uh, very big in the statistical community circle. Uh, and 
Corey and I were sitting there together when we were looking at some of the resumes of these people who had who had been recruited and were and Corey's comment was, Oh my God, I think my form my future boss is in this pile. <laughs> so some really talented people. And again, I think that's a credit to Kim and the role she played that she wanted to expand the pool of people who could get into the industry. But that wasn't the only initiative she was involved in. I mean, she was also helping baseball teams groom, recruit, and promote um, women working in scouting and coaching roles within the industry. So in a sense, she's been very, I mean, the advantage of what she was doing in Major League Baseball's front offices was extremely influential, I'd say, across the entire industry. She was not just um, it was not just an office job. Uh, she was working to make things better in the industry for uh, women and people of color, not just now, but into the future to create an industry that is effectively just as modern as any other workplace when it comes to diversity and inclusion and benefiting from people from a variety of, works of walks of life. That's really interesting because I think a lot of the coverage uh, of her hiring uh, was, you know, justifiably uh, celebrating her for making history and breaking that glass ceiling, um, and almost, you know, being a symbol of what was possible. But then I hear you discuss uh, the work she was doing before this happened, and that seems to me like maybe that's at least an equal, if not more, important part of of what she's brought to the game. Well, I'd say it's equally important, but I'd say that it's also something that um, she wasn't alone. And so, like I'd say that 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 initiative is not going to die on the vine right. now that she's moved back into a team's front office. So, and I think baseball's commitment there is both admirable and is leading to improvements that, you know, I think they they recognize the benefits. And I think, you know, it's kind of, you know, like it goes beyond, I mean, I don't want to understate the value of the symbolism of her also being in a front office and then being able to inspire generations of young women to think that they too could go all the way up, that you know, they don't have to think about their career as automatically doomed to stall at a certain level, that they have every opportunity within the industry that anybody working in baseball might have. Have you spoken to her since uh, she got the job? Briefly, only like a couple of texts and congratulations and going squee. Oh, my God, this has really happened. So because I'm delighted for her, of course, it is an amazing. It's just I mean, considering that there was a suspicion that this might never happen for her, that if we were looking at like, you know, well down the line, uh, you know, this might happen in a couple like it might be another 10 years and um, or more. And that's where, you know, we didn't. We, we had kind of written off that, that it was going to happen for Kim, but I think that the fact that it did is, is remarkable on its own level, but also uh, reassuring that uh, people with as much talent as, as she has um, are not going to be forgotten. I think the other thing, like, you know, I, just to circle back, when you talk about a historic moment, this is historic in more than one way. I mean, it's not just that it's a breakthrough for for women, it's also a huge breakthrough for Asian Americans that, you know, essentially that she's getting this opportunity and that, you know, that this, these opportunities also exist for uh, essentially, you know, what is a growing population within the within the player population. But I mean, like, you know, you have plenty of Asians or but, you know, Asian Americans in general, that this opportunity exists for them as well, that it's not just 
white dudes and the the rare occasional black or hispanic like general manager that that also asians are also part of the population of entirely capable and entirely available to uh to work at this level in baseball you mentioned a little bit earlier that you know part of uh, what kim was doing w- with mlb is to to make uh, baseball as diverse and inclusive as any other modern industry. Give me a sense, as somebody who's worked uh, in and covered the game for for quite some time. I mean, how far is that from where baseball was when when maybe you and Kim began your careers? Like, tell me a little bit about the room, the the old boys' room that that Kim just now broke down the door to. Oh, I think it's you know like it's entirely different. I'd say it's it's still got a ways to go. But um, it's not; it's far from perfect. I think uh, when you look at the the grades that baseball gets these days in terms of diversity and inclusion, I think they're scoring solid C's, where you know it used to be D's and F's, uh, and those kinds of like annual report cards on how well baseball is doing in diversity and inclusion. But it is still massively different. Where like you know you don't see that it isn't just one woman in the entire press box. It isn't just, you know, the idea that any woman might be working in either the either for media, but also in media relations for a team is no longer an alien concept. It used to be that like if you had any woman working in media relations, um, she was kind of marked. I think back to, you know, women who in a way were their own tr- kind of trailblazer in major league baseball front office like Sharon Panazzo. Um, when she work, was working with the Cubs, she wasn't even allowed. There was a point at which she wasn't even allowed to travel with the team when they were on the road, and she was a team employee, so it was kind of ridiculous. And that was the early '80s. So you know, to be now where any woman working in a, it, it, like it's not unusual to have a woman working in a front office at all. Uh, the number of women who are scouts, uh, analysts, um, qual- working in front offices. Um, and not necessarily just, you know, like there have always, I'd say, been some women working in administrative positions. But, you know, the fact that now they're really being hired and developed to work in scouting, uh, baseball operations. And now, you know, like with someone like Alyssa Nacken with the Giants, like in coaching at the major league level, it's a far different environment. And one where, again, it's not unusual. And when you talk about like old boy network. I mean, I'm just struck by, you know, like when I, it wasn't very, it was maybe 10 years ago, let's say, uh, that you would have a prominent general manager, say, of a team standing in the press box talking about uh, how he likes to watch, um, he doesn't even speak Spanish, but he likes to watch Spanish language television shows because um, he liked to look at the ladies on the show. And it's like, and he's just talking about this in, in pretty graphic terms. And, and this is no longer, this person's no longer a general manager, but it's like, you know, that isn't happening in most workplaces and it shouldn't happen in any workplace. And it was much worse, I would say earlier, but you know, the fact that baseball has had to grow up and grow up in our lifetimes isn't too alien from, I'd say a lot of, industries because we've seen you know these kinds of scandals break out you know what you can see them in wall street you can see them in main street but the fact that uh, that baseball is such a very public industry and everybody because of the fandoms you know no you don't have millions of people rooting for uh you know your your 
<laughs> like your local auto dealership. It's just because of the level of attention, uh, questions of sexism and um, any kind of, of bias against people uh, is going to draw more attention right away. And so to see these kinds of improvements happen in our lifetime, again, I think it's a credit to the women themselves, but also to the industry that we've gotten this far understanding that we have still quite a ways to go. I'm going to ask you my last question, uh, not to be cliche or cheesy, but because uh, because this has been a crappy year and it's worth talking about good news. Um, what does it mean, you know, to you as a as a woman who loves the game and has spent her life around it, and and other women who are working at the lower levels of baseball? Like, how did you feel when you you know picked up your phone and saw that this news was breaking? Combination of relief and joy that one that it happened at all as a historical event. But more importantly, again, I'd say on a personal level uh, that it happened for her because her worthiness, her ability, her, let's just say the Marlins were already moving up. But if you want to talk about somebody who is going to be sharp in maximizing their opportunity to make this year's, you know, expanded playoff field uh, appearance by the Marlins, which was a surprise for many, somebody who's going to be able to deliver on that promise and make baseball, I think, consistently interesting in Miami in a way that that franchise has struggled to stay um, strong for despite two titles, um, has had such an up and down and strange history. Um, if anybody's going to be able to deliver the kind of guidance and um, know-how to make that team a consistent, excellent, competitive franchise, I I don't think they could have made a better hire. And so um, there were a lot of there were a lot of feelings of joy about it. But I think the, the thing of that I was just sort of like also kind of struck by was that it took a it took an ex player, a player that, you know, like had seen her across like, you know, like Derek Jeter in being with the Yankees had had to work at, at with Kim, but also across the table from Kim in terms of contract negotiations and stuff like So the fact that he knew that she was somebody he wanted to do is based on personal direct experience of, I know this person can do the job. And so that kind of level of confidence that this is not just a, a one-off, like is just, I think that much more awesome in a sense. And says that a player knows she can, you know, Hall of Fame player th thinks and knows she can do the job. That's even more. And that's a, that's another kind of aspect to it that I think is really inspirational. Christina, thank you so much for for taking the time. And I've never said these words before, but now I am excited to watch the Marlins. <laughs> who knew? <laughs> so I think there are a lot of people who are now Marlins fans. Absolutely. Christina Carl of ESPN. That was The Big Story. You can find more at thebigstorypodcast.ca. You can talk to us at thebigstoryfpn. We are right now trying to determine what presents to give you in the form of our last episodes before Christmas. Would you like to hear more from me? Would you like to hear from our producers and audio engineers? Would you like to hear from listeners? Would you like us to recap the biggest stories of this year, which you can already name and already make you depressed? It is up to you, unless we want to do something different, but we value your feedback. So again, find us on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN, or email us. The email address is TheBigStoryPodcast, that's all one word, 
all lowercase, at rci.rogers.com. And of course, find us in your favorite podcast player. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. Hit that share button and send it to your closest friend that you know doesn't listen yet. Thank you for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow.